0: I feel both uh, at home here and uh, also uh, this is a little different experience. I've, I've stood in this pulpit before, but not for this purpose. Thank you for welcoming me to share God's Word with you this morning. Let us pray. Dear God, open my mouth. Expand our hearts. Let us understand your Word. In Jesus' name we pray. The nation is in travail, the people are in an uproar, oh there's peace, there's peace in the land all right, but that peace comes at a heavy, heavy price for the nation and its people. The once great and powerful country now, now staggers between other growing superpowers on the global stage. Because of the threat from these other countries, the nation's treasury has been diverted to the buildup of military armaments and fortifications. The rulers and the elite of the land enjoy enormous wealth and privilege. But the conditions of the ordinary citizens begin to stagnate and even decline toward scarcity and poverty. The rich get richer, the poor Beg in the streets. The powerful exercise their control to exploit the vulnerable. Refugees are streaming in through the gates seeking protection from the chaos in their own land, which is in freefall. And above all, the leaders, those in whom the people have placed their trust and their confidence. Exploit the situation with deceit and lies and corruption. Now you may think I'm describing the situation here in the United States of America just a few days after our important midterm elections. You'd be wrong, but you would be forgiven for reaching that comparison, because the description is frighteningly similar. What I'm actually describing is the conditions of life in Judah in the period of the 8th century before Christ. The once mighty united kingdom under the likes of King David and Solomon had long ago been divided into two separate nations. The northern kingdom, or Israel, as you see in the map there, with its capital in Samaria, and the southern kingdom of Judah, with its capital in Jerusalem. The period of the 8th century opened with peace and prosperity of the separate little nations, mainly because the other great superpowers of the ancient Near East were, well, they were preoccupied with their own matters. They were focused internally on leadership issues. So they left the two individual small nations of Israel and Judah alone, and then, Tilgath-Pilzer the third, he comes to power in 746 BCE in Assyria, and as all new rulers do, he wanted to expand his kingdom, and so he sought to conquer and control all of Assyria, and to return Assyria to its once mighty status in the region. And little Israel proved no match. And so the northern kingdom of Israel and its capital city of Samaria fell to the advancing Assyrian army in 722 BCE. After that fall, streams of citizens from that northern kingdom began moving south, making their way to Judah because they didn't want to live under foreign occupation and the results thereof. Now, the southern kingdom of Judah escaped a similar fate, but they paid a very high price for what they called independence. Judah's subservience required the payment of enormous financial tributes to Assyria, a loss of political independence, the corruption of its religious traditions by foreign practices. It was a high price to pay. Into this milieu comes a certain prophet. We call them We call them prophets. I would refer to them also in our context as a pundit, maybe. Someone who steps forward, who has words to say to the people. Micah was from outstate. We know about outstate, right? Even those of us in the metro area. He was from the nearby rural town of Moresheth. He never lost his identity and connection with the countryside and the people of that region. Now, we really know little about the prophet personally. But we can summarize from his punditry, his writings, that he was deeply concerned with the plight of the ordinary citizens there. He felt compassion for the poor and the dispossessed. And most importantly, most importantly, he held the leaders of the land responsible for the suffering of the people. Micah is clear in his reprimand and his accusations. He writes for lo, the Lord is coming out of his place and he will come down and tread upon the high places of the earth. Then the mountains will melt under him and the valleys will burst open like wax near a fire like waters poured down in a steep place. I love the poetry of the prophets. All this All this is for the transgression of Jacob and the sins of the house of Israel. What is the transgression of Jacob? Is it not Samaria? What is the high place of Judah? Is it not Jerusalem? Therefore, because of you, writes the prophet, Zion shall be plowed as a field and Jerusalem will become a heap of ruins. The prophet directs his rebuke particularly against the heads of the house of Jacob, the rulers of the house of Israel, those who, in his words, abhor justice and pervert all equity. They didn't listen to the children's message this morning and learn to share with one another. In the words of the prophet, they build Zion with blood and Jerusalem with wrong. Therefore, Zion and Jerusalem will be destroyed. Punishment must be rendered. The people will suffer for the, their sins and the sins of their leaders. They did the crime. Now they have to endure the time. first three chapters of the book of Micah present the prophet's case. Although prophets, priests, and rulers of the time were preaching a kind of false optimism to the people, Micah says that Reality would soon befall them all. His task is to alert the people to what is coming. To shake them from their reliance on this blind faith and belief that God would always protect them no matter what they did, no matter how flagrant their disobedience. God had not broken promises. But God's people, and particularly the leaders of God's people, have not kept their part of the agreement. You see, the prophet Micah dares to ask some very hard questions. Ones that sometimes dare not be spoken. Ones that men and women of good faith are are afraid to ask. Ones that many people wanted the church to wrestle with, but it wouldn't, and they left the church. Where is God? If God is with us and for us, why are we suffering in this way? Can not our God protect us from whatever trials and tragedies may befall us now or in the future? How can a good God let this happen to us? How can a loving God punish us like this? In the midst of the horrible economic, political, cultural, and religious conditions of 8th century Judah, the prophet Micah is asking and daring to answer those questions. In the midst of similar economic, political, cultural, and religious conditions of the 21st century, we might just do well to sit up and take notice of what the prophet has to say. These are the kind of questions I've been asking of late. Where is our God, our loving, compassionate God? How could that God let this happen to us and to our great country? Now Micah is very clear. The nation stands in a posture of sinfulness before God. A love of power and money, greed of wealth has caused the leaders of the nation to cheat and oppress the common men and women. Micah's complaint is summarized. They covet fields and they seize them. Houses and they take them away. They oppress the householder and house people and their inheritance. This expropriation may have taken place in quite legal ways, but its effect upon the poor and the victims was nonetheless devastating, especially for women and children. Those who had lost their job, lost their livelihoods, they were reduced to poverty and living the remainder of their lives, sometimes as indentured servants. For Micah, the same greed had led merchants to cheat customers with false scales, judges and government officials who were supposed to be impartial were holding out their hands for a bribe. And Micah doesn't let the religious leaders off easy. He even blames them because they preach for hire and prophets who divine for money. They proclaim soothing words for those who will pay and call down hellfire and brimstone on those who do not. Micah sees how the nation has been led astray. He holds the leaders accountable. He knows that the people and their leaders have gone astray from the mandates of justice, of fairness, of equality, of peace for all God's people and all God's creation. Therefore, because of the nation's iniquity, Yahweh will destroy it. Now, Unlike a similar prophet of the same period, Jeremiah, who is very specific in his language of destruction of Jerusalem by Nebuchadnezzar, Micah is more general and circumspect about this punishment that will befall the people. What does that destruction look like? When will it happen? How will we know when it happened? Has it already happened? Now, so far, this doesn't sound like very good news from the prophet. It's not comforting words in difficult times. But in the words of the Ronco TV commercials of years past, but wait, there's more. In spite of the nation's immorality, Yahweh will restore the people. Exile may be the fate of the wayward people of God for now, but even in exile, God will not forget them nor forsake them. Indeed, God will call them together as a shepherd summons the flock, and they will be restored to a right relationship with God. God will perform for the weak and powerless a task they couldn't begin to accomplish for themselves. The mood of this final section of the prophetic book turns to become an affirmation of the goodness of God, the faithfulness of God, the compassion of God. The climax is in chapter 7. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over the transgressions of the remnant of your possession? You do not retain anger forever because... You delight in showing clemency. Our God will again have compassion upon us. God will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. O oh God, you will show faithfulness to Jacob and unswerving loyalty to Abraham as you have sworn to our ancestors in days of old. This return from exile, however, will not be the simple restoration of the kingdom of, on the land just as it was before, however. A new kingdom, a king following in the lineage of David will reign over the land, a, a regent of God, an emissary of the holy, and all the earth will come and be in awe of him. The city of Jerusalem will become the center of justice and faith, says the prophet. And this reason for this great redemption is not because of any superior strength or skill on the part of God's people. It's a reflection of who God is, of our compassionate, loving God. In the midst of all the trials and tribulations, the prophet speaks words of hope and promise. Even in the oncoming downfall of the nation, Micah promises that God will be with them And will restore the people to a new and better relationship than even before. You see, I think among the great insights that Micah has bequeathed to us is how to accept and bear the wrath of God. The strength of our acceptance comes from the awareness that that we do fall short of what God wants us to be and do. We've gone against the laws of God and the covenants of God. We've we've not kept our part of the bargain. Micah is unrelentingly clear. Our leaders have led us astray and we have willingly followed them down the wrong pathway. Therefore, just as a loving parent gets angry with their disobedient child, so our God is upset with us, angry with us, But anger from God does not mean abandonment from God. God's anger passes, but God's faithfulness goes on forever. There is compassion even in God's anger. Darkness is not dismal, because even when we sit in darkness, our God is our light. I believe that these are some dark and dismal days in our land. The shortcomings and faults of our leaders and those of us as a people of this nation have come before God's attention. God is angry and upset with us, and especially, I think, with our leaders. We've exploited the poor and working people while the rich get absurdly richer. We've shown anger and rebuff to the refugee and the immigrant among us. We've put our faith and trust in bombs and wars instead of seeking ways of peace and reconciliation. We've turned against our allies and given passes to those who would do us harm. Our leaders speak lies and deceptions and untruths. We've, we've made right to life a political mantra while cutting off the support of life that children and mothers need. We've made a good education a privilege for some, not a right For all. We've turned against ourselves, disparaging the black, the Hispanic, the Jew, the Muslim, the foreigner, the LGBTQ person. In short, we have exploited justice, ignored fairness, scorned peace. We've just come through the midterm elections, or if you're in Florida, soon will. We've chosen those who will be our political leaders for at least the next few years. Some are ones we voted for, some are not. Either way, in our democratic system, these are the ones who now bear the mantle of responsibility for leading us. But our part of the bargain is not finished. The prophet Micah would remind us that we must hold our political leaders accountable. Accountable to us as their constituents, yes, but but also also accountable to the standards of God, the standards of justice, of fairness, equality, of peace, of hospitality to strangers, of support to neighbors, accountable to the call of our God for the benefit of all of God's creation. We need to write, to call, to visit, sometimes even to protest. As we remember the end of World War II, one this weekend. We remember that it was referred to as the war, to end all wars. How How could there be one that would follow that? We need to hold our leaders accountable to seek ways of peace with other nations. As we mourn the tragic loss of more lives in just one more mass shooting that we heard about in California this week, we need to hold our political leaders accountable to respond to all of the 307 mass shooting incidents that have happened this year mass shooting defined as four or more deaths some we heard about some we didn't what would sensible gun regulations look like maybe all we need to do is ask the kids in Parkland Florida I think they have some ideas as one of the mothers of one of the California victims said this week stop sending me thoughts and prayers and do something to stop gun violence. We could go on and on with the issues of our day. Prophet Micah doesn't tell us how to respond to the complexities of the issues we face. He didn't tell the people of 8th century Judah how to respond to the particular situations they faced. But the prophet does have some important words for us to remember. Words of challenge, words of accountability, words that remind us that we will be held accountable. And so will they. With what shall we come before the Lord and bow ourselves before God on high? God has told you, O mortal, what is good. What does the Lord require of you? Just this, do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with our God. May it always be so. Thanks be to God.